to Connect and Collaborate. Today's episode of Redefining Rural is brought to you by Colorado State University Global Campus. We join Michelle Murphy, Daniil LaPlatte, and Kirk Banghart to talk about the rural education system. Thank you, Alex, and good morning, everybody. We're so glad to be here. I am surrounded by just some really incredibly strong rural leaders, which is appropriate because our topic today is uh, rural leadership. We're going to get into, we've got some of our strongest uh, women rural leaders here as well, and in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about some issues specific to their roles as longtime women in leadership roles in uh, Colorado, in rural Colorado. But first, we want to talk about rural leadership generally, and I'm going to ask our guests to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about their district, where they work or have worked, um, what they're doing now, and how they, what drew them to rural and leadership together. And Linda, we'll go ahead and start with you. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Michelle. I'm Linda Reed. I am the superintendent of Archuleta School District in beautiful Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Uh, this will be my seventh year as superintendent and my 11th year in the district. Um, also my last year, I am going to retire at the end of June next year, um, at the end of my 45th year as an educator. Um, and so 11 years here in Colorado, I moved to Colorado in 2009 with my husband um, as a retiree. So I am <laughs> I have been back in the workforce. <laughs> I didn't do retirement well the first time, so we'll see how I do the second time. But I have had the honor of working in three different states. I was a teacher in um, Ohio for 10 years and then moved to California. And I was a, a teacher, a special ed teacher. And then I was a, a principal for 10 years there and for eight years worked as a consultant with the California Department of Education and Los Angeles County Office of Education with turnaround schools and districts at about the time that No Child Left Behind came along. so. I've been part of the accountability movement for quite some time through uh, multiple states and, and multiple um, positions. Um, our district is considered a rural district. We are uh, up against the base of the San Juan Mountains and uh, at the sort of at the base, about 20 some miles from Wolf Creek Pass. We have the San Juan River that comes through town and it is just a beautiful sportsman's paradise. Um, a lot of second homes here. Our school district has grown over the last six to seven years. Um, we are currently over 1,700 students, and we serve all of Archuleta County, including some more remote um, communities. And over the last several years, we are also serving students who are coming to us from the Hickory Apache uh, Reservation uh, over the border in New Mexico. And that's added a wonderful um, flavor to our school district, and we are honored to work with these kiddos. So that's a little bit about Pagosa, and um, we are um, honored to be part of this call today. Thanks so much, Linda. Carrie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, thank you. Carrie Yancer, currently the Director of Professional Learning and Operations at KS Colorado Association of School Executives. But prior to this position, um, I was the proud principal. Um, of two schools, 20, uh, 16 years in the same building at Hotchkiss Pre-K-8 in Delta County um, over on the western slope. Delta County uh, is a rural school district made up of five communities, um, five high schools, five communities, Cedar Ridge, Delta, Paonia, Hotchkiss, and Crawford. Um, where I was the principal there in Hotchkiss, um, one of the first principals to have one of the first pre-K-8s when we built that, so that was pretty exciting. Spent 25 years in Delta County, 
um, school district and about three years ago my husband and I decided to make the move to the East Slope um, which was difficult but I took a position up in Nederland at Nederland Middle Senior High School which was um, a challenge all its own in the respect. The rural part of Boulder, that's right? What, exactly, <laughs> that's what I was to say. It was a rural <laughs> school in um, Boulder Valley School District uh, and so had a, had a lot of um, experiences up there that that really were similar to my experiences in Delta County however also very unique and and diverse um, so being in Delta obviously is a rural community I lived in um, Crawford and at Hotchkiss pre-k uh, the community is basically made up of farming agricultural and coal mining and about six seven years ago when the coal mining industry mm -hmm. went down um, had a huge effect on on what we had to do and change um, with our different um, stabilities for our students and based. Uh, when I first started at HK8, my f um, free and reduced lunch count was at um, 23. By the time I left, we were at 68. Wow. So, you know, a lot of demographical, um, economical mm -hmm. changes happened, and it's, I'm happy to say they're on a positive rebound with the orchards and some of the farming and agricultural, and they really had to start thinking outside the box of um, economical rebirth and regrowth. Um, but Delta County is a very progressive, small rural school district um, under some great leadership. So it's, it's an honor to talk about rural education because it's my heart and soul. Great, and we're super excited that you guys are here. And as always, I'm reminded that both Kirk and Daniil served as uh, superintendents in small rural school districts. So ask, we'll hope that they will chime in throughout the conversation. I think sort of we talk all the time on this podcast about how different, what different roles look like in rural Colorado and that superintendents are often, you know, they serve as the transportation director. They actually drive the buses. Yep. They're mowing the lawns, all <laughs> of that. Talk to us from your experience. What, what is, what is incredible about your leadership? What, what, what stands out for you about the passions in your job and in your space? And then too, what are some of the some of the challenges that you face. Linda, we'll go ahead and start with you. So I'm, I'm fortunate. Um, I do have an assistant superintendent who wears probably 45 hats, which allows me to wear only 20. Um, I can't say that I've ever driven a bus because I don't have a CDL. However, um, you know, there are, there, it's just different. Um, I spent 23 years in urban California, and you just don't have the same um, – access to resources. You don't have the same number of people. Um, one of the things that I, I, I've noticed, um, the, you know, we have the same reporting requirements that everybody mm -hmm. else does. Um, we've, um, we have to have people that can multitask and be able to balance uh, a whole lot of different responsibilities. And that's not always easy to find. Um, because people are so specialized nowadays, and to, to ask somebody to come in and go, okay, you need to do this, 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 and this, and you need to be really, really good at it, because that's the requirement now. It's not easy, um, and we went through a period with the economic downturn um, when I first started in the district where, you know, the economy was so bad and people were leaving our community left and right, and kind of like what Carrie was talking about, we had to figure out how to to diversify as a community, and um, we are now attracting more people, um, but it, it is it is a challenge. I, I can't say that it's not, but I also think that 
One of the benefits is that I know every single one of my staff mm -hmm. members down to the bus drivers. I know their families. I know their challenges and their successes. I know their kids. And I think that adds a, 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 a wonderful layer to a community to a school district that you may not find in a larger setting. Um, so those are a couple of things that I would say about being a rural in a rural district um, that is very different than urban. Um, we were talking to some of our colleagues at CDE about the um, the the data review for the state assessments, and they were saying, well, you know, we had some of the the bigger districts take a look at the the data to make sure that everything was in line. And I'm, I'm saying, yeah, and, um, you know, the people that are, are taking care of that for me are also the board secretary, and she does all the data reporting, mm -hmm. and she keeps all the track mm -hmm. of human yep. resources, and, and, and. And some of the larger districts have whole departments that are able right. to, to really look in depth. And, and granted, they have a lot more um, pieces of data that they have to look at. But th those are some of the, the differences that I see. Well, and for our non-education background members, CDE that Linda was referring to is the Colorado Department of Education. And I think we've talked a bit, if not, we will be more so during the session and as advocacy goes forward about sort of the overwhelming, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. data collection and reporting requirements as part of our state's accountability system and larger and the great impact yeah. that that has on rural districts because they, for and for many reasons, but they do not have the staff that larger districts do that are devoted just to that work. Linda, can you talk a little bit, you talked about how you had to diversify and change the way that you did things. Talk about how you, you engaged your community um, your district leadership, that would be you and your board, I imagine, maybe building principles yeah. as well, mm -hmm. to figure out what you needed for your kids. So one of the things that we did, we, we, we actually did a year-long, what we just called a listening tour, and we had community meetings um, open to anybody and everybody, and the board just really went out and listened and said, so Archuletas County, Pagosa Springs, what is it that you want for your kids? What is it that really matters to you? And that became the basis of our, our mission, our vision. Um, it's part of our strategic framework, but it was also very intentional because there are a couple of things um, that I'm sure other rural districts deal with, and one of them is being competitive when it comes to recruiting and retaining the best and the brightest. And, and we knew that in order to do that, to be competitive with surrounding communities that are larger and maybe a little bit wealthier than we are, we had to do something to increase our ability to pay our staff more. So um, this listening tour that the board did um, really set the stage for our um, successful attempt at passing a mill levy override last fall, which was the first tax initiative that the voters in this very conservative community passed in 20 years. The last time that they voted anything as far as funding for schools are concerned was 20 years ago when they passed a bond to build the new high school. Um, so I think that has been one of the things. We have, um, we have three comprehensive schools. We have an elementary school, a middle school, and a high school. We authorized a charter school. They're starting their third year. I think that was another evidence of what is it that the community wants. And there was a segment that wanted a different kind of education for their kids, so we responded to that. The other thing that we did um, when I, shortly after I became superintendent, I had an opportunity to speak with the wife of one of my new board members who 
in the past had had a homeschool collaborative. And one of the things that I recognized when I moved to this community was that homeschooling was a big deal. And I didn't understand it. I wanted to find out more about why people chose to educate their kids in a different kind of setting rather than in the public schools. Because the narrative was, oh, the schools are bad. Therefore, these people are homeschooling. When in fact, that wasn't necessarily the case. And so we had a, a year-long advisory board that we created that was made up of parents of homeschool kids. And out of that came what we call our Pagosa Family School, starting its fourth year. And it is a shared schooling program where we provide um, a rich array of electives to kiddos that are either in um, homeschooling situations or in um, faith-based um, homeschool collaboratives. And they come to us for electives um, during the school day in a shared space with the middle school. Then after school, those um, classes are opened up to additionally to other homeschool kids and to public school kids. So it has broken down a lot of the preconceived notions about public school and about homeschool. And every year, the number of students in that program continues to grow. Um, at last count, we have 70 students in K through 12, and it has um, it's really provided a bridge between two different communities. So if you ask me, I think it is really honestly listening to what people want and then trying to figure out how within limited means to make that happen. And, and don't you think, like when I reflect um, on my time in Delta County and the 25 years I was there, I always look at it as we're a school district, not a district of schools, that I think that Absolutely. community feel. When I think back, I think one of the things that that I'm so proud of and I'm passionate about is that community feel like, you know, I knew not only all my kids in my community, but I, I worked in, t you know, a couple of the communities within Delta County and Delta, as well as in Hotchkiss, and I lived in the Crawford area. But I think that sense of pride and community and what you see, I think, um, between the rural and the urban really is that connection piece um, and being Absolutely. able to to have that connection. I know when we hit some uh, economical hard times, you know, I really reached out to, I was very close to, to the mayor of our town. I had his kids, mm -hmm. you know, I had the superintendent's mm -hmm. grandkids. I, we had these connections yeah. and these conversations and I think it's that sense of community pride in our small towns. Yeah. I mean, I used to always tell people, I bleed red and white and that's, <laughs> you know, and that, that was the way it was. And um, when we finally did pass pass a, um, a bond to build the new middle schools, um, it was a big deal. I mean, matter of fact, we ended up having, I had to convince the community in Hotchkiss to tear down a 100-year-old building. You know, and we had, yeah, that, oh yeah, it was tough. Um, but some <laughs> of the things we talked about is, and it's, it's a little bit comical now because that building has been now going on 16, 18 years mm. that it's been up, mm -hmm. but we have lion heads on the building and people walk up and they would always say, I thought you guys were the home of the bulldogs. How come they're lion heads? And I'm like, don't ask because <laughs> the old high school building had lion heads on yeah. those old brick buildings. But that was one yep. of the concessions we made with the community to, yeah. like you said, Linda, you listen to them, you hear them. And what I find is there in, in our community, in our small towns, those parents care just as much and want the same amount of education for their kids as they may get at a bigger school. And I think as, as administrators um, in our buildings, in our smaller schools, we have to be creative. 
just like you were talking mm -hmm. about accountability. Prior to becoming a school principal, I was um, a counselor. I didn't have mm. a counselor. I was the counselor. Mm -hmm. You know, I, yep. I, I was the, the Department of Human Services at times because when parents needed it, you know, when the corner store, I had two yep. of my seventh graders um, stole the candy bar one time. The owner called me at 9 o'clock at night and said, hey, Miss mm -hmm. Answer, you're, you need to come down here. So on my way, I went. Wild. And, but those are the things, I think, that make it so unique and special. Even from a, a scheduling and as a superintendent level, it's the same way. My, my superintendent not only had me running one building, but I was also helping up at the high school. I was doing all the FAFSA Absolutely. for them, even though because they were like, you have counseling experience. Mm. I had a coach. And this yeah. is a funny story. When I first got hired in Hotchkiss, we were in the old building for almost a year before we got the bond. On my job assignments, I had to clean out the clinkers. And a lot of people don't know what clinkers are. I was just going to ask you what a clinker is. Clinker is the coal mine. <laughs> Our old building was operated by coal. So if we wanted wow. heat the next day, I had to last one in. It was either I was the last yep. one in or the first one in. And I had to make sure they were clean so that when my custodian came in and the next morning he could he could fill the the coal bin he took it from the coal bin put it in and i i mean those are great stories that i always think about and i think about um is just, that the building that got replaced that was with the building the, okay. that got replaced <laughs> okay. yes but but the kids had responsibilities too you know and i and i think that's so healthy it is so healthy i mean i look at like yeah. this is my 29th year in education and um I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade those experiences there. And, and as a parent in rural, you know, I have two beautiful girls that are now 24 and 21, and they went through the K-12 system in Hotchkiss. My oldest graduated with her associate's degree with six other of mm -hmm. her classmates of a class of 41 because of the outstanding awesome. staff. My youngest daughter, a little bit different track, she had 29 hours of concurrent enrollment wow. and a welding certificate because they both did FFA awesome. and 4-H and those experiences. Yeah. And then when my oldest got an athletic scholarship to college, the coach said to her, you know what, you may not be the fastest, she was a runner, the fastest runner in the state of Colorado, She's, but they said you have the most diverse cross-training because you moved hay bales. Mm. You did the, I mean, mm -hmm. the responsibility. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that mm -hmm. I think bring a small community together. And in small communities, the schools are sometimes are the hub of what yeah. transpires, yeah, and, we'll and that's about a tough. That. Yeah. yeah, I think from the stories that we're hearing, I would I would agree that one of the things that I see in small rurals is is really it's about collaboration mm -hmm. with your community, Absolutely. and how those connections that you make with your community are really how leadership happens because small rural districts are really understaffed when it comes to. Yep. The abilities we talked about wearing multiple hats and so you have to really have those connections with multiple people in order to get things done if it's a new building it's mm -hmm. to to try to make programs yeah. happen if it's your sports program all those happen not just within the staff that is employed by your district but it's about then the community connections and so i think all of us as rural leaders mm -hmm. have that experience where we got something done because someone in the community and we had that relationship with that yeah. person in the community and so i think one of the things that that I see a lot of is that that's how we accomplish stuff in the rural setting is really like leveraging our community and our relationships, relationships. in order to to get to get things done. 
if I could add on to that, I would say for us, um, part of one of the things I love about southwestern Colorado is through our BOCES, we have eight districts that work really well together, and we share resources. Um, unfortunately, you know, we've had some tragedies where um, we had a, a little special needs kiddo who passed away quite unexpectedly, and then we just had this outpouring of counselor help from other districts so that they were there for the staff and the families and the kids. And I think that's something that I have always appreciated, especially when I was a new superintendent. I could pick up the phone and call um, another superintendent in a neighboring district and say, hey, what do you think about this? How would you approach this? And I, and I think that that is, especially as a superintendent, because it's lonely out there, I have right. to tell you. Um, and it's, you know, I, I love my connections through CASE, but sometimes you need somebody that has that similar um, rural mindset and, and knows your community, maybe not as well as they know their own, but they drive through it on their way to Denver all the time. So they know, <laughs> and we, we meet regularly, um, we meet on a monthly basis, and we do a lot of problem solving. Something else that has happened, which I think is really great from a, a leadership development standpoint too, is that we have um, the principals uh, across mm -hmm. these districts have um, principal or professional learning communities and they get together on a monthly basis and they do the same thing. So we're always cross-pollinating, which I really appreciate. Which I think is really important mm -hmm. when you look at that collaboration piece because I think about, as Michelle said, and Kurt, you, the many hats that you have to wear in that leadership style because in our smaller districts, we don't have necessarily a curriculum director or a director right. of special education. Mm -hmm. You cross-pollinate right. all those those responsibilities, and you have to think about, you know, the professional development. And when we when we would implement something, how would that do? Because you're always thinking of um, what what does my what would benefit my students the most all the way across. Yeah. And I think the other thing, and like in your position as a superintendent, and even as a building administrator. You cross paths with your school board member in the grocery store. You cross paths. All the time. All the time. So <laughs> so that inner relationship, the relationship is key because you're not going to always yeah. agree, but you agree to disagree right. because I think the number one thing that I valued the most in, in my 25 years in, in Delta County was my community and my parents trusted and believed in the direction. They knew that. Yep what we were doing and the direction we were going was the best thing for kids and Absolutely. from from collaboration mm -hmm. and even as you talk about collaborating with other districts on the western slope we didn't we didn't have a BOCES so we kind of mm -hmm. had a conversation with Gunnison and Montrose right. and we created our own little unique group which was so beneficial because you know and we started looking yeah. at what are other what are other grant opportunities out there what are the things that we can do because I knew, I knew that we could provide the best education. I always tell people my job was to create a seamless education experience for every student pre-K-12 and beyond. So as I'm listening to you guys and I'm thinking about this from my perspective as growing up in rural and only ever working in rural, I almost think that leadership in our rural districts happens naturally. Mm -hmm. So when I grew up, as a rural student, I had 24 kids in my class and we all did everything. We were involved in, as Carrie was saying, there was so much um, diversity and you had such a broad uh, range of experiences because you were in 4-H and FFA mm -hmm. and played basketball and volleyball and ran track and student what, you were in FBLA <laughs> and all of those clubs and you were leading all of them because there was really no one else. And so I'm thinking back to 
the opening of the case conference maybe a couple years ago when Lisa Skarska was standing up there doing the welcome and she was saying, if not you, then who? And if not um, mm-hmm. now, then when? And that was kind of the way it was for me going through school and then, you know, becoming a teacher, a principal, a superintendent. It was up to you to get those things done. And really, you didn't know any different. You right. didn't know that other places <laughs> existed that had all of this yep. help. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. specialized. And so I really do think that one of the advantages to being a rural leader is that you have a really broad um, skill set and you know a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's job, you know what it takes, you know um, what the requirements are. And I think that is such a real advantage that we overlook all the time um, because you're just involved in everything and you do what it takes to get things done. We're going to head out to break, Danielle. Thank you for that. That's the perfect sort of wrap up mm-hmm. about the rural leadership and rural realities. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. Welcome back to Connect and Collaborate, featuring Redefining Rural once again, brought to you by CSU Global. Let's get started talking about women in leadership. Thanks, Alex. We're glad to be back, and we're going to send it. You may have noticed Daniil is not in studio with us today, and we miss her desperately. Um, but we're going to pass it off to you and ask you to talk about some some of the statistics around women in leadership in rural education. Yeah, so as we started talking about this episode and celebrating our women in rural leadership roles, we started taking a look at some of the data around the state of female versus male leaders. And so let's starting off with teachers. When we look at the state of Colorado, 75% of the teachers in our state are female, 25% male. And then moving up to the principal ranks, we have about 50-50, 49% female, 51% male principals. Um, and as we move up and look at superintendents, then we see um, a bigger shift. So superintendents across the state in Colorado, we see 33% female, 67% male. And when we're looking at our rural school districts, it's almost the same, but we see a little bit less. So we have 29% um, female rural superintendents and then 71% male. And if we 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 didn't include our BOCES in that one, but the previous one, the BOCES was included. So BOCES makes up, you know, we have 22 different BOCES in our state. So BOCES is a, a smaller portion of that. And I know in our BOCES, we have um, we have more female leaders in our BOCES um, than we would rural superintendents, rural superintendents across the state. So, I mean, we see a, a decline as we move up, up the ranks as far as um, teacher to principal, principal to superintendent. And I think we wanted to dig into a little bit of um, maybe why that is and how we can encourage um, our female teachers and principals to pursue other leadership roles. Danielle, I would say part of that, when I think about that, um, and we've talked a little bit about like growing your own, I, I reflect even on my own personal experience when I was a classroom teacher to a school counselor to a school principal. It was about that relationship and that connection and, and people keeping an eye out. And I look to how we encourage and how we push our leaders above us when we start uh, what are those character traits what are some of those things and then really helping with that like I never thought about administration if it wasn't for my superintendent my and um, a principal coming into me and saying have you ever thought about being an administrator and as I think about that um, I had mentioned earlier 
you know i was i was the first well not the first but i was the at the time when i became a principal i was the only female principal heading into that role and i would sit at a round table at a principal's meeting with all males and that was a little overwhelming in respect to where your leadership needs to go and as i think about that and i think about even pursuing um superintendencies um i don't it's trying to find that balance of support of what skill sets you need and how that looks because as you said in those statistics the there is not the statistics demonstrate there's not a lot of um, role models out there to mm. kind of help us get to that when we start looking at it you know i look to monica linda some of these or are even um, karen gibson in, in delta county uh, with that but it's that conversation because i was actually an assistant principal before while well, karen was a classroom teacher and I remember talking to her about becoming a principal or getting her admin license, and then she ended up being the superintendent. And it, <laughs> I think as we think about women in leadership in the educational field, I really think it's important that we put, um, make a conscious effort to have really good role models and peer mentorships in that to, to give that buy-in of how important it is. Because even as I've thought about heading that direction, it's like scary to dip my toes because I don't know all the ins and outs. When I moved to California, I was a teacher and I was working on my administrative credential, um, but I, I was a special ed teacher. I thought about I'd be a special ed director. I never had any ambition to be a principal. Um, and I was really encouraged by some of the male leadership mm -hmm. in the district where I was a, um, a teacher to take on um, a quasi-administrative role and it turned out that the, the person who was the principal of that school was a woman and a very powerful woman. She was the only woman principal in the district when she started. Um, and then she went on to become assistant superintendent. I became a principal. She was a mentor. But I think back, one of my, she was an awesome mentor, but I also, the superintendent was a mentor to me. Um, and he kicked me out of the nest. I would have right. been happy to stay in that district forever, but he really, um, encouraged me to explore other things and so that's how I was for 18 years able to be in a leadership position in California but when I moved to Colorado one of the things that I noticed was down here in southwest Colorado there was one female superintendent and it was Kim White up in Silverton teeny tiny little mm -hmm. Silverton and everybody else was men and I remember saying something to the BOCES director at the time about that and he, I mean, his reaction was, you think? And huh. I look at over the last 10 years how things have changed. The BOCES director is now a woman. There are four female superintendents out of the eight superintendents in Southwest Colorado. I look in, our, in my little community. The, the town manager is a woman. The CEO of our hospital is a woman. Um, so it, I think it's, it's bigger than just education, too. I think in rural communities, um, there is a recognition that women bring a different skill set to a job than men do. Not better, not worse, just different. And I think having that balance has brought a, um, a richness to a lot of different communities. And I think as I look at my little district here, we have, uh, if you will, five principalships between our elementary, middle, high school, charter school, and family school. And of those, uh, two of them are women, three of them are men. And um, two of the three men grew up here, have spent their whole lives here. 
and really know the community inside and out. And some of the other folks have come from someplace else, which I think also helps that balance. But one of the things that I have been intent on doing is growing teacher leaders. Right. And um, so we, I started last year a teacher leadership cadre. Um, there was a young woman that was uh, working on her administrative um, credential and her doctorate. She actually, she came to me and said, how can we make this work? And I said, you run with it, girl. Um, and she brought together a group, and it was mostly women, um, who are teachers who are leaders in their buildings. They are not necessarily wanting to be administrators, but they want to be leaders. And, and they have brought ideas that um, we hadn't thought about from a teacher's perspective. So I think that's one way of growing leaders. But I also think as women, um, we have to advocate mm -hmm. for other women. And not above and beyond men, don't get me wrong on that, <laughs> right. but I think women have a responsibility to yeah. grow and nurture and support other women. And that's, you know, after 45 years, that's the conclusion that I've come to. It's interesting because both of you said, and Danielle, I don't know if this was your experience, but you, neither of you thought about going into a district or a school leadership position uh, until you were groomed. So to your... or until it was suggested by one of your mentors or leaders. Right, and my, my mentor was, was a male, and as I, now I am constantly out there looking, um, even as a school principal, I mean, right now I have a former student of mine who's a principal in St. Brain, uh, and and it's wonderful. She's, she's a female, she's a minority, it's just amazing, and you just look at all these examples of when you say advocating for each other, you really do because you don't you don't think because historically you've had male leadership in that in the principalship or superintendency um, but you really do it's looking at growing your own of seeing out there the cadre of of doing PLCs of of finding those skills mm -hmm. and saying you have the potential to 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 demonstrate some leadership skills let's let let me help polish those for you let's, what are, for that. let's go for that it's like I tell people that's what fills my bucket kind of at my role at case mm -hmm. right now is at the professional learning end is filling filling that bucket of how can we help leaders be better at their craft and and what are the strands or the academies or professional learning that we can provide to make sure we're meeting those needs all the way across because you know, women women in leadership roles statistically is low. Um, our minorities are low in that. And all the way across, the rural educators, I mean, we have a hard time. Linda, you mentioned the beautiful country in P Pagosa, and I always say that's what got people to come to Delta right. County is we have a great schedule, mm -hmm. and you could go hunting and fishing, and you could do all these great things. It's retaining and, retra and retaining those, those people to come there, and then you have to really – grow your own. I mean, I was hired in Delta mm -hmm. County at the young age of 21, and I ended up there on a flip of a coin. I flipped a coin, heads I stay, tails I go, and it was heads, and I stayed for 25 years. <laughs> and and it, it's the same kind of thing of if I didn't have good mentors around me to help me, but I didn't have a lot of female role models in that mm -hmm. respect, so it was uncharted territory of how do I, how do I go about that and so one of the passions now is how do we get more females in these in these leadership roles because to your point it's not good bad different it's just different it's a unique yeah. perspective that collaborating yep. all the way around 
Well, and we know how important it is yeah. for our students, right? We know that when we have a diverse uh, team of teachers, the, the, the female students and the minority students feel empowered by that. Mm -hmm. And that may not be the right word, but, oh, wow, they look like me and they're in a leadership role. I can do that, too. And yeah. I say all the time, we've got yeah. to get rural mm -hmm. kids interested in the jobs in rural communities and this yeah. grow your own piece that's taking off, I think, around the state. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking back to my time as a, a, a principal, and I was an elementary principal, and um, it was interesting. I had a board member approach me, and by that time, some of the, the, the first classes that were graduating, if you will, from the elementary school were now in high school, and this older board member, who was a, a very strong woman, she came to me and she said, what are you teaching those girls at McKinley School? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, they're all the presidents of the clubs at the high school. They're president of the mm -hmm. student body. What are you doing with those girls? And I think it starts there. I, I think it yep. starts long before um, we become adults. And that's one of the things that I, I encourage um, our administrators and our teachers to, to recognize kids for their strengths. And, and everybody has a strength. It may not be the same, but, but let's nurture those strengths, whatever they may be. I used to always tell my kids, be proud of who you are and what you do always. You're the first and last person to look yourself in the mirror. And, and I believe that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And it starts, you know, I've been at all three levels, middle, elementary, middle, and high. And I think about that of presenting those opportunities because um, you know, I used to, it used to drive me crazy when people say, oh, they can't get as good of an education if they like they could at a bigger school. Or, right. Mm -hmm. And I would go... No way. I mean, th that vast experience um, all the way across the board just is incredible of, of capitalizing on those skills. And like I said, what a great opportunity. I, those kids, you know, this last past May, I was the commencement speaker for the high school, and I had those kids for 10 years. I mean, I knew them inside out, and it was so incredible to see them years later. But it's the same thing of looking at those strengths and saying, you can't you want to start this club you want to do these things let's get out there you know we started a garden project now there's this giant program going on and um all the way around it's like capitalizing on on the opportunities for them and i look to um the young girls of saying because they always say well i want to be a teacher i'm like you can be whatever you want you can be whatever you want you know or they would say how did you become a principal you know and it's like you said, it's like looking at that and seeing that that change. I think it's that space of, you know, we talk about it all the time about they, we know our kids and mm -hmm. the power in knowing your kids and how to tap into that energy and what makes them, makes their socks go up and down, as a good yep. friend of mine likes to <laughs> say. And when you, you know, we had Nikki, the superintendent from Camboa here a few months ago and talked about when you engage your kids, find out what their interests are, that's empowering. That it's puts them totally into empowering. it. And then you start implementing programs uh, in order based to build that. those out based on their needs. That is an empowering piece for those kids and they learn this wow, there's nothing I can't do. You know, I, I walk into my kids' school. The kids are, you know, whether they greet me or not, nine times out of ten, or the exception, the rule rather than the exception when I walk into one of my members' buildings is, oh, hello, Ms. Murphy, good to see you, Ms. Murphy, shaking my hand, yeah. looking me right in the eye. And, you know, as the mom of yep. two teenagers, the value in that and the incredible life skills that you get from that level of engagement just um, I mean, I'm a, you know, a bleeding heart for all that is rural, and that's probably one of the primary reasons. 
it's a, it's a different it's a different environment. You know, I will say I had quite a culture shock coming from the west I bet. west slope to to over here on the eastern side of the state. Um, not good, bad. It's just, different it was different. When you cross the divide. It was it was <laughs> different. It was just, and I think one of those things was even now. So many of my former kids, they they will not call me Carrie. You know, they'll say, "Hi, Miss Yancer. It's good mm-hmm. to see you." Mm-hmm. And you know, they have taught been taught those some just different uh, levels of values. Some of my superintendents call me Ms. Murphy because that's how they <laughs> right. They're elders, I guess, right? <laughs> and that is. That's true. So let's talk a little bit. Carrie's here in her role as well as a former, a strong rural leader as the director of the professional development and case. I'm mm-hmm. sure I butchered your title, but interesting, a little conversation about where the needs are, what what is case doing for those rural leaders um, out there, kind of opportunities. Um, a couple different things. First of all, I'm always open to suggestions. You know, I, I tell people I'm one of those conceptual visionary people. I like think of a lot of great ideas and then I need a lot of help getting them off the ground. Um, but <laughs> so please share. I think it's, you know, some of the things that we're really looking at is creating some of these cadres, cohorts, you know, um, the Western Slope Superintendents Conference, I think is an excellent opportunity, um, as Linda was saying, to bring some of those experiences because there, it is so diverse. We still have the same state requirements, yeah. all the same things. We all have to get to the finish line, but how we all go about it is completely different. And I think there's some unique discussions that happen when you sit and talk to, um, you know, Clint and Nucla, who was talking about like, yesterday I was coaching and now today I'm a superintendent. I have nothing mm-hmm. in between. So I think providing some of those com- conferences and conventions for, um, some of our rural rural educators, uh, we've actually spent a lot of time talking about how to promote women in leadership. You know, annual case convention, we always do the women in leadership luncheon, which is well attended. It motivates people. Awesome. People are ready to walk out of there, but that's exactly what happens. You right. know, it's like, okay. We were wondering about that. If how do we follow up? Right. And that's kind of where my wheels yeah. have been turning since convention is, is where do we take that? How do we create this, this value add to what we, we've kind of planted the seed, but now we got to water it. So how do we do that? What are some of those suggestions of bringing together some, some cohort groups, some problem solving um, opportunities? So I think from the case aspect, those are, those are some things we're thinking about, um, trying to figure out like making a strand of women in leadership. Because I think it's important that we start building, growing your mm-hmm. own statewide. I mean, all our small yeah. communities do a great job of we grow our own within our community because we want you to stay in our community. But how do we grow that statewide for leadership? Because statistically, our superintendency um, overall is is depleting. We have a lot of people that are getting wanting to retire. A lot of turnover. A lot of mm-hmm. turnover. So we have to do that. Are we seeing the same sort of shortages in principal and superintendent roles and qualified folks as we are in the teaching workforce? Principal, for sure. I just actually did some research on that. Cause I... Yeah, I would say in the principal role, um, and I've had, you know, we talked about growing our own, and I've had people that I've, I've said, you know, you've got these great leadership qualities. Have you thought about? And their response is, no way would I want to take on that yep. job. Hardest it's job too, in the too. district, I think. Well, yeah, I, exactly. I, exactly. 
I look at my own two children who have been in the education system, and I said, why didn't you want to be a teacher? And they were like, or a leader, or whatever. They looked at me, and they said, Mom, we watched what happened. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Oh, no. yeah. And you don't realize that until you, <laughs> you reflect back. And they said, we loved the experiences we had, but yeah, I think statistically um, it's, it is tough. So I think part of my job in my new role is to is emphasize that value because, you know, nothing fills your, your bucket more, your heart, when you know you've made that ripple effect and you just go, yeah, just yeah. even in that one, it makes well, it I, worthwhile. Yeah. I think it flows up, right? I mean, I think we've been experiencing our educator shortage for quite some time, and I think then the next logical um, shortage area that we're going to have is in leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I really think we uh, we talk about all the time changing the narrative around public education, education in general, the teaching field. And I think we also have to change the narrative around what it's like to be a leader. We've talked today about so many reasons why it's great to be a leader in rural education and so many benefits and advantages. And I just think that we need to continue to talk about that. And that was one of the goals we had today was to um, spread the joy of rural right. leadership yeah. and being in these leadership positions because it there really are many advantages. And so as much as we hear about the challenges and, and some of the um, obstacles around it, there are so many positive aspects as well. The sign that hangs above my desk and has forever is another day in paradise. And that's what I tell people. It's another beautiful day in paradise because it's, it's, it's a great my, job. My mantra is, I, as long as I get up every morning and say I get to go to work, That's right. I should be continuing to do this. And, <laughs> and I'm still saying that. It's a passion. I hope I don't say that in July, though, because then I'm going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah, but we know most we'll educators. We'll find you. Right. You retire, but then you, well, this will be your second retirement, right? Yeah, well. Uh -huh. I expect you to pop up in some of these leadership training well, you know, Women my mind is turning right now. Right. I'm like, okay, Linda, I'm going to be calling you for a few things right now. You among others. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to redevelop uh, the mentoring, coaching strand right. through CASE, too. Well, thank you. That, that would be very interesting. <laughs> what else, talking about uh, ideas for developing future rural leaders and maybe getting some of our listening community at the end of one career interested in... Um, pitching in and going out to rural leadership and doing some some rural administrating for lack of a better way i would love to see like a traveling road show of of spreading the joy like you know like the joy of teaching but the joy of leading and really take this road show and really see that because there's so many people um educators that are on that cusp but they're they're, mm -hmm. they're a little nervous to right. take the jump because there is such that negative narrative about public education and what we're doing. And um, if we could figure out that little roadshow of, of the reasons why. School boards play a very important role in leadership development and um, support. And so I know Case and Kazi work so closely together, and I appreciate that. But that might be something to think about a strand for school board members about how they, too, can support that sort of leadership development in their districts and their communities. Just a little idea that popped into my head just now. Yeah, I wonder what the statistics look like in terms of male, female, minority representation on school boards and rural school boards. Yeah. I don't have a sense of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 mine's pretty 
male and white. Yeah, yeah, I, that's my <laughs> sense. As most of them are, but yeah. I don't. I don't have anything. And to I have, back I've that had, up. Yeah, I have had women board members. I have a woman board member right now, but by and large, um, and I can't speak for other districts at all. Well, it was interesting for but, me because I'm not only a female, but I'm a minority, and it was. That was just... And you were young. And I was young. I took my first administrative job. I was 28. It's remarkable. And, you know, I mean, my favorite story was the egg teacher, my first day on the job, he comes in, he's like, hey, kids aren't supposed to be in here. And I remember just like going, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> he's a big guy, the big belt buckle. <laughs> and I was like, I got to go home. <laughs> All right. We're about wrapping up our time. Thanks so much, Linda and Carrie, for joining us today. Daniil, we miss you. We'll see you back in studio next month. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Michelle. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to like and subscribe our YouTube channel, and you can find this series at cobrt.com slash radio dash podcast. Look up Redefining Rural. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>